on this episode of AV Week. AT&T says DirecTV is for free, digital signage that sees you. And is the cable company sabotaging your video? This and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Ready. AV. AV Week. Performing. Scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 236, Sabotage, recorded March 4th, 2016. Good afternoon, everybody. This is AV Week, your source for news and information in the AV integration world. I'm your host today, George Tucker. Glad to have you along for this discussion. Today, we're joined by an esteemed panel, some guys that I've been talking to, (laughs) some you've seen before, but uh, always love to have them on. First off, of course, is Andrew Wershburn. He is from Video Installation Plus. How are you, sir? I'm doing well today, George. All right. Did I get even close with your name? Almost. Almost. I never do it right. I know. Uh, also joining us, my friend, my foil on Facebook, Dean Denton. He is from Prestige Automation. How are you, sir? I'm good today, George. Thank you. <laughs> right. And, of course, always happy to have Terry Coffey from Draper. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you too, George. Thank you very much for the invite. (laughs) Well, it is post-ISC. It is post a number of trade shows, but there's a lot still going on. One of the things that's been making a lot of buzz this week, guys, is AT&T. They say that their plan with DirecTV is that they're no longer going to require a satellite. Now, this is something very interesting. You can get it over streaming, they say. I'm putting that up on the screen right now. Uh, they're saying that you can get it from a set top bo- uh, without a set top box. Just stream it, no special plan, and you don't even have to have AT and T as your provider. You know, I'm going to start with you on this one. This is right in your wheelhouse, kind of stuff. Does this have a big impact on what we're selling to the clients? Are they going to avoid wanting certain systems in there, or is is this finally the uh, the, the long sought after um, heaven of a la carte? Well, a couple of different um, ideas on that one. The first one is I just put in a a new Dish Hopper DVR. I had been a long-time DirecTV subscriber, and I read about the um, some of the recent improvements on on the Dish Hopper, and um, it it works really well. And and I was wondering what DirecTV was going to do to counter that, and um, and I think that um, not having to put in a satellite dish, you know, it makes it a lot easier. Um, it opens DirecTV up to, I think, more people, you know, people that live in condos and in uh, places where it might be more difficult to, to get satellite reception. Um, and the, the, other, the other idea that I had was um, kind of slips my mind right now, so maybe if you come back to me, I'll remember what it was. That's okay, cool. Uh, Andrew, let's go to you for a second because do you see this as something that will 
invoke people to want to have more distribution systems in their house and to say, okay, call on us? Or is this another consumerization of the industry and it's another little niche out? You know, I can't tell exactly because of the way they uh, wrote about it in the article. I mean, they say you'll have an app just in a smart TV. Then there's no distribution there other than a good network. But I can't exactly figure out how they're doing this, and they keep saying we'll have the same DirecTV content. Well, DirecTV doesn't have its own content. DirecTV is a provider, so I'm trying to figure out how the broadcasters are going to let them stream, because that has never been a problem for anybody ever in the past. Now, if they get past all of that stuff and they get an app that can go on Roku or Apple TV or something... Uh, that would be fantastic for distribution. You get one or two of those per client into a matrix system or something, and you can throw it wherever you need, and I think that's a good thing. It's a lot easier to install satellite when you don't actually need a dish, mm-hmm. but I can't really figure out if it's going to help anything or not. Yeah, it's, it's that point, and you bring up the distribution that they're just another provider, say, like cable. Yeah. Um, uh, it strikes me that this has a very Arrow mm-hmm. model to it. Uh, do you guys recall Arrow? That, that was, was the streaming TV thing, wasn't it? Uh, well, they yeah, what they had was micro antennas in a urban yes. areas in which they could pick up the off-air, or what they do is they rebroadcast the, the, the cable stuff off-air to micro antennas and then use those micro antennas to distribute to clients. And yeah. they were basically capable of saying you can't do that, and they lost in the courts finally. Uh, because they really weren't distributing just off-air content. Um, my my question with that, and, and Terry, we'll, we'll jump you into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we see a problem with someone like AT&T saying, here's the DirecTV content? Is this really a Trojan horse for them to say, get it for free now? Well, the first one's free, and then they you know, ask for a little bit more money and a little bit more money and a little bit more money. And Well... <clears throat> Uh, that you know, that could be one way to look at it. Um, I, I speak as a cord cutter, so um, from the perspective, um, you know, we this this is a step in the right direction from a uh, from a consumer who does that, um, but it still doesn't um, go to where I would need it to go. Many others like me, and the reason for that is there. Uh, um, we just my entertainment needs are very strange. Um, I watch cricket. I watch BBC programs. Um, we don't watch a whole lot of programming. Um, we like old movies. I have a seven-year-old daughter, so uh, we are very careful about what she would have access to. So we choose to have a lot of control and very few. There are very few channels, um, so but I see it as a step in the right direction, especially if, as uh, uh, Andrew said, that uh, you know the, this turns into like an app that you can have on your Apple TV or, or what have you. That's what I have an Apple TV. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting idea that it'll be either that or like we said, Arrow, but the app might be very interesting. But I'm not sure how they get around it. But the bigger yeah. question too comes to a, a secondary story that we have here about FCC is now probing whether the cable companies have sabotaged internet video. <laughs> now I know we're all shocked. I said shocked that this would even be possible to happen. 
net neutrality and cable companies wanting to, you know, devotedly follow that, right? <laughs> but it does pose a problem for us as integrators, does it not? It always comes down to if the problem is happening in the system that we installed in any way, it's our fault, isn't it? And I'll tell a story that there's a very famous woman. Her name is Cindy Gallup. Now, you can look her up. She's a, uh, a marketing person, one of the influencers of the early days. And I caught her on Twitter many, many years ago when I worked for a manufacturer saying her manufacturer of choice, Tower of Power, was not working. The long and short of it was, through the Twitter discussion, it wasn't the controller. It was actually another piece of gear. But she saw it as that company's problem because that was the topmost label, that was the one that they used all the time, and that was her interface with the name on it. Uh, Andrew, I'll start with you on this. How do we fight that idea? Do we have to prep our clients with, well, it's not me, it's, it's the provider. You're going to have to talk to them and call their congressman. I mean, how do we battle this idea of clients want their content this way, but we're getting stymied? Okay, how do I say this without getting specific? <laughs> all right, so... I have a client who is a top-level executive in a media and internet powerhouse, let's say. Well, you can recuse <laughs> yourself from the question. Yeah. I, I, no, <laughs> well, my point being, somebody from one of the uh, major providers that is mentioned in that article... Um, complains to me constantly about how terrible Time Warner is. And I just have to bite my tongue and just look at him because you're part of the problem, dude. It's like you've created this monster. It's how you've done it. This is what happens when, you know, you guys get involved instead of really thinking things through. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Well, Dean, let me, let me bring part of that question to you then because <clears throat> we put in the systems. We manage the systems at times. But we've got this part of it that we cannot control and they'll claim upside down and sideways until you give them a speed test for it reading and sometimes even then saying, nope, it's not us. The speed is what you got. But then our client's saying, well, your gear stinks. Are, are we really forever being going to be caught in the middle? Is that to me, George? Yes, Dean. <laughs> yeah, the... In, it sounds like it's true in, in, in Andrew's market too, but the cable company is the slowest to adopt new technology. Their hardware seems like it was designed and built 10 years ago or more compared to some, you know, some other options like DirecTV and, and Dish. Um, and it seems to me that this is you know, a tactic, a, a delay tactic for them because um, they're going to be losing business um, if people switch over to, you know, cut the cord and switch over to an internet service. And I don't know if they're if they're using that time effectively or not. But um, it seems that's that's what it seems like to me is is um, they're just they can't keep up with the technology, so they're trying to prevent other people from from stepping in on their business. Well, you know, Terry. <clears throat> You're a cord cutter. I'm a cord cutter. Uh, I don't know about you, Dean. Are you a cord cutter? Um, no, no, not yet. And Andrew, I'm not going to recuse you from that question, no matter oh. what. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you have some 
vested interest there that I'm not going to put you in the corner of. But as a cord cutter, part of my problem was that even as a cord cutter, I, of course, have cable as my internet connection, my ISP. Uh, and the speeds aren't quite what they are, but we rely on them for that function. When we're putting in a, a media room, the guy says, well, I want my Roku and I want my stuff to work. Terry, how do we combat this kind of idea that the main infrastructure we're depending on is not just inadequate, they're lying about it? Yeah, you know, um, I don't know how to, I don't know because um, they, fortunately, I have not had any issues with, with this kind of thing uh, personally, so I feel like I'm, not that I'm aware of anyway, I've not uh, noticed any slowdowns or anything like that, but um, uh, at that point, basically what it sounds like you're doing is trying to pass the buck on, and uh, I think that you have to you have to just walk walk that line and try to explain and try to have some online documentation articles or something to back you up to to say look here's what's going on otherwise it just looks like you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to blame someone else and so they'll think well I'll try somebody else and see if they can help me out that would well, be I mean, one suggestion that I would have the, the case is always that it's greener on the other side and everybody else's phone yeah. system or internet system is better yeah. than you know when you know when you don't have it um, right. But from, actually, from a manufacturer side, which you are, this is a customer complaint kind of idea. I mean, what I ask you to put your hat on and sort of think in a role-playing way, I suppose. They are the lowest rated and the lowest trusted service that anyone can really find out there, right? If you look at all the records, everybody hates their cable company, just yeah. like they hate their phone company, which is sometimes yeah. the same thing. Right. How do? What are they not? Are they just not? Do we think we can presume that they're not caring, or is this really an issue of guys? Stop being an old business. Learn how to be a new business. For me, that is a big part of it. Yeah, um, it's you're trying to hang on to that. Um, I guess I could make a something a similar observation in the energy field. You know, old energy and new energy. Um, you there are new ways of doing business, and people, uh, especially younger folks. I'm I'm a little older, so maybe I'm not in the same boat or maybe I'm odd man out in my age group, but I think younger folks especially, they really would wonder what's the problem. I want what I want. I want to see what I want to see. I want to do my entertainment in the way I want it. So I, why are you not giving that to me? Does that mean you're old and out of touch? <laughs> well, I, you know, and I, I don't know, and that's why I sort of asked you three guys because Again, installing it, we're put in the middle of being the guys responsible right. for it. Why doesn't it work? It's your fault. Your name's on that rack. You guys installed well, we, it. Why is my internet bad? We get those. We our, our customer service uh, area. We have great customer service people, and yeah, they they deal with that kind of issue all the time. It's like, well, yeah, the screen isn't working. Um, well, is you know, the power on? Um, is the <laughs> um, you know is there another issue? Is there an issue with what you're using to control it? Um, so the most visible thing is what you always blame. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. All right, well, moving on to something a little bit different. Um, we're always talking about the Internet of Things. We're always talking about the Internet interconnectivity. Ooh, I said that well. Internet, <laughs> interconnectivity of stuff. Um, but doing it with, say, beacons or some real uh, uh, sensors hasn't been very easy. Well... MIT and a couple of companies just announced something called sensor tape. And if you guys have taken a look at this, 
it is actually a tape made of sensors with little microchips on it. Uh, I have that up on the screen now, and if you're watching, you can see it. If you're listening, uh, it basically shows them straining out the tape and then be able to cut it at different angles and put it together and make really cool sensors. This works from anything from doorways. They say you can put it with an embedded clothes. So let's start off with you, Dean. Do you see that there is a a really good use for this? Have you seen the Internet of Things starting to become something you have to at least pay attention to in sales pitches? And where do you see this taking us? Well, we definitely do need to, to pay attention to it because um, we do get... I do. I do for, get some pushback from people, um, and, and you know when I provide the, the products and services we provide are very expensive, and um, if they if they can get something you know for a lot less money, you know they're going to point that out. And sometimes it's difficult for me to compete with that. Sometimes I can make a good case for it. Um, in this case, in this case with this um, with the sensor tape, I mean, I saw that it was like one hundred to two hundred dollars a meter. Um, that seems a little on the high side. It seems, you know, for, for a sensor, like for you know, for a doorway or for you know, just sensing where somebody's at. Um, it, it it could it could be useful. It just all depends on on what you need to, to hook it in with the rest of the system, I suppose, as to whether or not it's gonna it's gonna be you know useful to to have it as as part of our uh, integration system. Andrew, they're showing some of this stuff here, which shows it measuring things, shows it sort of knowing X, Y points. Um, while Dean points out the price was about $100, $200 a meter, and the article goes to pains to show that they're saying they won't lower the price over time but add features to it. This may have a lot of significance in replacing a home automation system. The controller no longer is in Iraq. It's your key fob. Do you see that as something that we could work with and that that's where this is headed, or, or do you see another use? Um, I'm not sure if I see a use for it yet in home automation. I mean, the idea of having it as a doorway sensor or something, uh, isn't that what an occupancy sensor does, which is a lot cheaper? <laughs> no? Um, I mean, I know people that have come out of the MIT Media Lab, they develop crazy things and interesting things. Uh, I don't know if this is going to lead into the Internet of Things or if this will be used for... Um, I see it more as a way of doing control. I mean, when I saw them flexing it and everything, the first thing that popped into my mind was the old Nintendo Power Glove. If that strip was thinner, you could have some very interesting... Uh, gloves and then do the minority report thing and some interesting UI stuff. I don't know if uh, at 200, 100 a meter it makes any sense for turning on lights or anything when RFID tags and things are and near field communication is so much less expensive. Oh. Well, are they really less expensive though? I mean, there's labor to put them in, there's considerations you have to do when they don't quite fit into the space you want them to be in. This seems to have a lot of potential for not just occupancy sensing, but understanding how bright to make a room, perhaps. Um, to understand uh, just how big a system can be. I mean, I can see this beyond residential, but maybe 
uh, inside of a cargo case. It knows exactly what's there and how wide it is and where it can fit and, and items like that. Um, Terry, your thoughts on this having a little bit more use than just what they show on these on, on these videos. Can you foresee a time where this is maybe rolled into understanding uh, how to light a, not just light a room, but maybe understand just what needs to be done for, say, a projection system or of that nature? Yeah, sure. I, I could see, I could see that kind of thing happening. Um, actually, I think that's the, uh, to me, that was the biggest part of this story for me was not where it is now, but um, once it gets out there and people start messing with it, um, they see what can be done with it and start wanting it to have more features. Um, in a way, at first, when I was reading this, it sort of reminded me of like uh, the old days, you know, going to uh, your home hobbyist, going to Radio Shack and, you know, going home and building a, uh, building a radio or building a transmitter, building, some, you know, building stuff like that, and sort of DIY stuff. And, but then when I got out of the bottom and I saw the price and I saw where they aren't really interested in going down to the DIY price, it kind of sounded to me like this was something that they want – they don't necessarily want a DIY situation. They want real uh, people who are real hobbyists, real enthusiasts, uh, also you know maybe integrators to look at it and start experimenting with it and like do some of their market research for them and do some of their development research for them and uh, get paid for that privilege. Maybe um, I don't know if that really is what uh, a goal that they have in mind, but that, that was an idea that they had me. Well, I think it has a lot to do with big data, does it not? I mean, everything yeah. is big data these days. Yeah. Uh, everything's about acquiring information enough to say, I can push that to this specific type of person or this mm -hmm. kind of room environment or this kind of room occupancy or you know, know exactly how many uh, hours something has done something. I, I know we have all of that stuff, but this seems to be able to do it over a wider coverage area. Um, there was well, a and it's called... a very small. It's a very small area too. Like you know, with with shades or for instance, yeah. we or screens. We have um, we get feedback um, telling us where the shade is exactly, and you know where it needs to be, and all this. And it's you know it's easy to do. But um, even though those pieces are not real big, they are there are still some there's still some to them and 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 some breadth to them. And so. Um, being able to do some of those kinds of things in this really flat, tiny, small kind of layout um, lets you get that kind of stuff into places maybe where, at least from our side as a screen manufacturer, uh, shade manufacturer, um, get that kind of stuff into places where you just don't have to do that now. Hmm. Well, and part of the data counting that I thought I would, would really sort of appreciate here, because it could be so finite, uh, is another story that we get to about uh, see that billboard? It may see you too. Now, we've known a little bit about this. ISE was showing a lot of stuff uh, about being able to give an experiential environment for retail. Um, be able to take your now, what is it, anonymized uh, Wi-Fi from your phone or other mobile device and, again, anonymize it, but then know where you've been and where you're going and where you've stopped and what interests you. Uh, kind of to a benefit of saying, hey, you're walking towards, I don't know, a fashion store, but you were just in Z fashion store. This place sells ties and you just bought a suit. Maybe you need to buy some shoes and a tie and give you some offers, right? I mean, that's what this is all about. 
Uh, we did this at DSC a couple of months ago, uh, things like that, uh, in which they really talked about that kind of experience of being able to give you on price. Now, if they see you shopping, say, uh, what do they call that? I forget when you um, go there and you say, well, how much does Amazon have it for? They can know where you're going and say, you know what? We'll match the price, and they'll change the little screen below you and say, this is how much they're going to be for you today. Uh, let's start with you, Terry, since we've talked about this in the past. Uh, is this something to be feared, or for the digital signage, which you're partially involved in, is this a boon to actually getting digital signage to stop being, say, the dough digital out-of-home experience, but something far more? I'm, I guess I'm on the fence about that personally. I, I guess it could be a very, very good thing, uh, the digital signage uh, industry, uh, because it gives um, more bang for the buck. It gives many more uses. It makes it be seen as more useful because you're not just passively wearing a sign, you know, and so as somebody walks by and they may notice it, they may not, but uh, you're providing possibly something that they will notice because it's tailored specifically to their needs. Um, anytime we talk about taking data and anonymizing it, I, I do have to just sort of hold up just a second and say, okay, how are you going to do that? How are you going to guarantee that no one can break that? Um, and and uh, get the data and uh, before it's anonymized. Um, so I'd like to know more about that. But uh, but uh, and while that's creeping me out slightly, um, okay. I think it is a good idea. Uh, Dean, there is a, the concern about it being, uh, as Terry said, something that. You know, it's following us. It's it's a tracking that we really don't want. Uh, it's a lot of chatter about you know privacy and not having that imposed upon you. Um, I'll ask you this as someone who I know in our previous conversations really does sort of value that privacy and values that independent uh, idealism. Would you buy into this if someone said you can opt in in certain situations, or would you just resist it entirely? Well, there's a there's a. a something current that's going on related to the um, FBI asking Apple to open up a, you know, take out a feature on their phone that's securing the data in their phone. And if we, if we, you know, if, if they can, they can come in and say that, yeah, that, that, that all of this information is anonymous, but what's to prevent the, you know, the FBI from coming in and saying, well, Take out the anonymity because you know there was this horrible crime, and, and we want to track the you know this person. Um, there's just there's always that opportunity to you know for the government to creep in and and you know, in you know invade our privacy. You know even though you know in the beginning, you know we were told that that wasn't going to happen. Is it so much the fear of the government though, or is it really the lack of a better word and forgive it corporatocracy? that would really want to control how it's directing you. Like, hey, you're going this way. You should really stop over here. That's sort of a subtle way of trying to control your movements, no? No, I'm not, I'm not really all that concerned about that. I mean, it happens on the Internet all the time, and Amazon's an expert at that. Um, and it doesn't really bother me because they're, they're presenting things that I'm interested in, you know. And, and with the, the thing that concerns me with, with the government is that... Um, there, there isn't really anybody there saying that they can't do that. You know, at least you know with the one on the commercial side, 
you know, there's, there, there's, there, you know, there's some oversight there, but, you know, if the government wants to do something, you know, they're going to do it. Well, um, I'm going to bring this back to Andrew. Andrew, uh, part of who this is, of course, is including our friend from the beginning with the DirecTV AT&T. Um, in that sense of where you go, and you and I both live in the same region where those malls have the opportunity to track you. It's one of the things that I avoid because of it. But do you see this as having some potential for being able to, say, expand beyond just installing the commercial signage and being the people who manage that kind of data. Can you be the aggregator for your clients? And is that a valuable service to do, or is it not really worth the training and the employees that you would need? I don't know if it's worth it completely, to be quite honest. But that might just be from our market standpoint and not from an actual, oh, there's money to be made there standpoint. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a, the first thing that popped into my mind when I started reading that article was, oh my god, this is scary. And then I was like, eh, well, not really. As I posted about it on Facebook while using Google Chrome for my iPhone. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we need to get a handle on privacy and so forth. But uh, things like this are already happening at like sports stadiums anyway with uh, ticket holders where they go past a kiosk and it's like, hey, George, your seat's over here. How about some popcorn? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me turn this to Terry for just a second then, Terry. As a manufacturer, somebody who has uh, products that could be used in relation to this digital signage and into this um, and this world of commercial sort of advertising and, and push-out, uh, would you see a company like yours uh, look to be someone who could aggregate that information, make that a side business, make that a product? that you could offer alongside your physical products? Uh, you know, I can't, I, I wouldn't really think so. Um, I mean, I can't speak uh, for the, the family and the owners, but I, you know, I can't really see that being something that would uh, be worth it to us because um, as a projection screen manufacturer and a lift manufacturer, window shades, while, although we have things like, so for instance, our own control systems, sort of our view is that we want to not lock any customer out of using whatever technology they want in conjunction with our equipment. So it's more our job to make sure that our stuff works with everything and let other people who, depending on what system they prefer, because there may be more than one way to do this, you know, and so it may develop into something like that. So we go down one road with that, and then there's another one that comes up, and so then we have customers who say, well, I don't want to do it that way. Um, so uh, from our standpoint, I think that, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be something that uh, we would, would or should be good at. And Dean, I didn't pose this to you, but I want to ask you that same question because you, you, your company and in our discussions online, would it change the ratio for you if your company was someone who could provide and manage that information and could be the sort of service contractor for that kind of stuff? Um, I don't know a whole lot about that, so it would be hard for me to, to comment mm -hmm. on, on you know, exactly how that would... I mean, that's not really something that we do right now. Um, I'm not really sure how that would how that would work out. Would it work out like in home, excuse me, I have a cold and I'm cracking, um, would it work out in like a home environment where you could actually provide them a record of the metric data of usage and things like that, take over say from the power company's knowledge of what is going on and provide that to your client 
as part of the system, or is that just too far flung? Um, I mean, I could. It, it's it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to. I kind of hard for me to get my my head wrap my head around that right now. I hadn't really looked at it from that perspective. I need a little bit of time to think through it. Well, that's cool. But just a question because I see data as some place where we're going to have to start using our foothold or our toehold into these places as some place that we can then expand that data because someone who has it and has hardware may eventually say, well, we've got both. Let us, let us do it for you. All right, well, let's get to our last story of the day, and that is from EE Times, better acoustics for smartphones. Why for smartphones, you might ask? Well, they are the device that almost everybody has. Their penetration into the market and their association with audiovisual is pretty clear to most of us, especially for millennials. This is from a company saying that they have a new piezoelectric microphone and system called MIMS, I think you say that, M-E-M-S. It's from a company called Vesper. Uh, they're saying that they can get really high-quality audio smartphones that would rival some of the better systems out there. All right, so let's start with that. Dean, let me start with you on that one then. Do you think that what they're saying here is possible? We could rival the systems that are currently installed, and would your clients want that instead of, say, a Sonos or some system similar? Um, kind of hard for me to believe that that we could we have a smartphone that could rival some of the systems that we put in. I mean, Sonos is not a is not a really high bar to you know to get past. So possibly, and you know from that perspective, we could. Um, but I, I see that as increasingly important, especially like with that with the Crestron Rava intercom, and you know being able to do commu communication between. Uh, touch panel devices, people, you know, ring a doorbell and, and you can, you know, connect up to their smartphone and you can see them and talk back and forth. The better quality that is, um, I think that the easier it's going to be for us to sell that to the client because that's, in fact, as, you know, I have a prospect right now that's asking for that specific thing, you know, and if I can demonstrate that, um, yeah, it works and, it, and look how good the quality is, I think it makes it that much easier to close the sale. Well, Andrew, let's bring it to you for a moment then. Some of this microphone said that they have the capability of beam steering. Well, that fits right into the unified communications realm now, doesn't it? Are we looking at a takeover from smartphones in the UC field at this point, or, or is that really just stretching it too far, do you think? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Uh, well, for video conferencing, do you see anyone in video conferencing using that as an alternative? We've got the soft codecs that everyone provides outside of the old traditional teleconferencing for home or for business. Well, the only problem that I see with it is you're still limited by the bandwidth of uh, cellular to actually make the call. So you're going to have to compress everything and make it sound lousier and lousier anyway. Yeah. So... You know, it's like we're moving on to 8K video. Well, that's nice if you're going to watch it on an old smartphone with, you know, a 600 by 400 display screen. Who cares? I don't know if a better microphone in a phone is really going to help anything if you're still got to compress everything down the pipe. Well, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, but, Terry, uh, uh, we've seen this before. Um, 
not always the better product wins. It's the one that's more convenient, and the network and infrastructures adapt to its popularity at times. Um, you know, people might accept beyond phone, maybe near CD quality for their conferencing. Maybe not. Your thoughts on that? I think that um, the convenience would be a factor. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as, you know, I come from radio. I was a, I was a radio journalist, and uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, I've heard good audio, and so I know that they're never going to get the stuff that it sounds like they're trying to dance around here. But where, where this looks good to me is that um, whenever I do uh, talk to folks on my uh, – phone and or uh, do a conference, do a hangout or whatever, um, it's, I, I need to wear uh, a, a nice set of earbuds with a nice, uh, with, a, with, a, with a microphone built in because uh, the, what's going on around me, is, you know, especially if it's breezy and I'm outside or something, it's just too much for that thing to handle. So for Simple things, simple uses. The technology where they're talking about, uh, uh, you know, being able to um, uh, enable noise cancellation, better noise cancellation. That is what I saw as really neat about this. Um, but I'm like, uh, like Andrew said, for more complicated and complex stuff. Um, you're then dependent on your network, whether you're stocking cellular or wireless. So there's only so much you can do there. So what you're saying, no matter what, it's always the ISP's fault, huh? <laughs> oh, there right. we go. The same game again. I'm sorry. Matt, that can be just a writer right. on any of our contracts. Nope, it's always the ISP's fault. Please see your ISP guy. I think that's the title. <laughs> All right, well, gentlemen, we have hit the mark of a 30 minutes on this show. It goes by far too fast for the discussion and the topics. I want to thank my guests for coming on today. They are, of course, Andrew Worshborn. I'm reading it from your thing. Yeah, I did it right for the first time in years. Uh, he, of course, is from Video Installations Plus. Thank you very much, sir. Where can they find out more about you and the company? Uh, well, we just launched our brand-new website at videoinstallationsplus.com, and uh, we're just starting our social presence on Facebook, where you can also find us at Video Installations Plus. And a very pretty website it is. I will attest to that. Definitely. Thank you. Uh, also joining us, of course, Dean Denton from Prestige Automation. Sir, thank you for being on. And where can they find out more about you guys? You can find us uh, on the web at www.prestigeautomation.com um, or Twitter um, at Prestige Automate with the number eight. And on Facebook, I don't. I don't remember the exact number, but I think if you search for Prestige Automation on Facebook, you will find us there, too. Indeed, indeed. And, of course, no show is complete without Mr. Terry Coffee from Draper. <laughs> wow. Where can they find out more about Draper and you? Well, uh, uh, draperinc.com is our website. Um, we're on all the social platforms. Um, our, we have a, a specifically AV Twitter feed, that is Draper AV, and we also have a corporate feed, that is Draper Inc., and uh, uh, Penny handles that one somewhat, and I assist with that too. Very cool. And you, when's the next show that people can see you guys at? Well, I know we're going to be at a couple of um, uh, we're going to be at a couple of uh, residential shows. We're going to be at um, the big Aim High's big show next month, and we're also going to be at uh, the Great Lakes um, Technology uh, and Business Summit. 
and uh, some smaller dealer shows. But the next big show will be uh, will be Infocom. Infocom in Vegas, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yes. In Lost Wages. There we go. All right, guys. I want to thank you for joining us and for the audience for watching. This is AVNation.tv. It is a station and a broadcasting webcast that is made for and by working AV professionals. You can find this show and many more, like Lightcast, which is the show about commercial lighting and design, some really radical thinkers and very interesting ideas about lighting on that show. Uh, there is EdTech. There is AV Week Residential, which we dig into uh, deep residential ideas. There is the uh, Pico Pros and many, many more. Go to avnation.tv and find those there, as well as our coverage of trade shows. ISC 2016, that's Integrated Systems Europe, is up now on the page. Lots of booth interviews and discussions, more than just your average sales pitch. It is really good stuff there, so I hope you would go check it out. Again, for our guest here and for Aviation TV, I'm George Tucker. Thanking you very much for watching, and we'll speak to all of you again very soon. the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.